Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Does the latest Trump indictment mean the United States is becoming a banana republic? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But I've got a new class out, Reading Andrew Jackson. If you use the coupon code JACKSON, you get $70 off that class for the month of August 2023. So go on over and do that. It's the lowest price you'll ever get it, and you're going to want to learn more about Andrew Jackson because he is important in that transition from the Federal Republic, of course, to the empire of Abraham Lincoln. Jackson really is uh, such an integral part of that. So get that class, learn more about Andrew Jackson, use the coupon code JACKSON at checkout, get $70 off. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com through a few pennies my way that way, or, of course, clicking on the heart button. If you're watching on YouTube, the super thanks button, that's also a way to do it. Or go to Spotify for podcasters and become a member there. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Let people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. And, of course, comment on YouTube for the algorithm. All those things are painless, and they do help get more eyes and ears on the show. All right, well, I mentioned at the beginning of this that we're going to talk about the United States as a banana republic. And this is something conservatives often throw out there. And just the other day, when, of course, this has to do with the Trump indictment, right? So you have conservatives saying we're living in a third world country or we're in a banana republic. And, of course, the left has pushed back against this, saying that's not true. We don't live in a banana republic. Look, that was that would be the case if... People who were corrupt were not prosecuted, could do whatever they wanted with impunity. And while that's true, right, when you look at what happens in places like Honduras, for example, or Ecuador, or uh, I mean, even if you look at, uh, you know, Mexico at times uh, and South American countries, this is what they're really talking about here. South American countries that have histories of strongmen governments, Panama, where you have the military propping up the military dictator, right? I mean, and so, or you take places like Chile, or Chile, I should say, or Argentina, where you have some of that as well. That's what people are referring to. And of course, the left gets very upset about this because they don't want to be accused of being essentially political thugs. But that's what they are. But the analogy is actually a poor analogy. We're not talking about the United States as a banana republic or a third world country. That's not the case. What we're looking at the United States, though, is Rome. And in 2016, one of the first episodes I ever did with the Brian McClanahan show, it was in October of 2016, before the election, I talked about how America was Rome. And 
the in 2013, I was I was basing that podcast on a series of essays that were produced in a book by FEE. Larry Reed at FEE had done this, but talking about how the United States was Rome. He was 100% accurate. The United States is not a banana republic. It's not a third world country, and it won't be. It won't ever be, not at least now. But eventually it could be, and that would be if it follows the trajectory of Rome. And I think that's the much more accurate historical description of what's happening. But nobody really knows what historical analogy to use. I'll talk about how the United States, again, I'm going to recap this, how the United States really is Rome. And what the United States is going through is mirrors what happened with the, with the Roman Empire. But they can't figure out, people can't figure out what historical analogies to use. And that's because of a historical ignorance, right? So you've got Republicans, Ted Cruz and others saying, we're the man of Republic. We're prosecuting, we're, we're using the government in a way that would prosecute people we don't like, right? Essentially what they're saying is that we're weaponizing, and this term has been used, we're weaponizing the Department of Justice. We're going after our political opponents now. So we're basically having fraudulent elections. That's one of the charges. The elections aren't legitimate, which the left has made those accusations as well. I mean, this is not something that's left or right. This is what people are saying. We have we have illegitimate elections. And when you have a sheriff in California stand up and say, well, we've got people who are registered to vote who were alive in 1850. We've got 4,000 people over 80 years old who are supposedly registered to vote in a county that didn't have that many people in it who are that age. We've got, we've got some real irregular voter registration records here. We have to clean this up. We know there's a tremendous amount of fraud out there. That's the American way, though. I mean, anytime you have this much power, anytime you have this much money at stake, you're going to have this. You're going to have it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's impossible not to have it. And that's one of the problems, of course, of a, of a large-scale democratic system with all the money. The United States is the largest, most powerful, and wealthiest institution, the government, in the history of the world. It doles out trillions of dollars a year. And when you have that kind of money, and you have this kind of power, just as Rome had, and I'll talk about the analogy again, you're going to get these kind of situations. It's inevitable. This is why decentralization, think locally, act locally, creates less corruption. You're not saying you're going to have you're not going to have corruption because you do. We see it at the state and local level all the time. But you can the the local response is usually quick enough and swift enough to try to knock some of this stuff down, or at least there is a way to do it. Not all the time. There's always exceptions to the rule, but generally, when you have much more personal government, you're able to get rid of some of this stuff faster than you can with what we have in Washington, D.C. This has been ongoing for years. Andrew Jackson, I talked about reading Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson was talking about cleaning up corruption in the swamp in the 1820s. And look where we are now. Now, Andrew Jackson's got some real problems, but he wasn't incorrect about some of these things. Jackson is maddening when it comes to his inconsistencies, but I digress. So when you look at how, how people are phrasing this, and I'm going to go and actually talk about a piece that was published at Daily Caller, uh, that has some of the other inconsistencies in it. And what I mean by that is you've got people on the left who don't really know what to call this. So you got conservatives saying we live in a banana republic. Uh, we live in a third world country. You've got people on the left saying, no, no, no. What we've got is King George and the Confederates. This is Al Sharpton. Um, and this is uh, at the Daily Caller. MSNBC host Al Sharpton claimed Monday 
that former President Donald Trump wants to be king of the United States, of this United States, while commenting on Trump's third indictment. King of this United States. Now, let me, let me tell you how that's interesting. King of this United States. It used to be these United States. What Sharpton did there, I don't even know if he realizes he's doing it. Instead of saying these United States, he said this United States. He turned a plural into a singular and forgot about the federal nature of the United States. In fact, what he's doing is denouncing that by saying Trump wants to be king of, the United, of this United States or the Confederates. You see, he doesn't know which boogeyman to go after. Might as well just thrown in Hitler right there or something, because, I mean, that would have been the only other boogeyman you could have thrown in here. Right? So you've got King George, you've got the Confederates, and then you had to, it had to be somebody else, right? 20th century had to come up with somebody else that would have been bad. That's what these people do. They don't even know what to do anymore. They don't even know what historical analogy to use. This is Sharpton speaking. If you're in the Republican primaries, you have to now broaden what we're talking about here. You can't fight the case. The prosecutor will do that. But what you can say to the American people is do what we do. We want a country that people can decide elections and that if they lose, they can turn it into this kind of chaos so that we become what the country was founded on to be opposed to. I don't even know what that means. That was the weirdest word salad I've ever read. Uh, but this is Sharpton speaking. Sharpton told host MSNBC uh, host Joe Scarborough on, on Morning Joe while discussing the indictment over Trump's efforts to contest the 2020 election results. The country was founded on fighting against an autocracy. Well, I mean, not entirely untrue. Right? It was to preserve the, the ancient constitutions or the rights of Englishmen. Right? I mean, these are things they had talked about. There were people in the United States who were monarchists who simply believed that the, their liberties were being infringed by the parliament more than anything else. By the parliament. That's also a key to his. Donald Trump is not fighting for you. He's fighting to be the king of this United States. And you cannot have him make America great again if he's going against the principles of what America stood for at its origin. Now, what were those principles, I wonder? And I'm going to talk about this week because there's actually a person brought up in this article that is very confused about these things. And, and uh, you know, we'll get into this, some of these issues. Very confused. Trump pleaded not guilty to all the charges during his Thursday arraignment after special counsel Jack Smith secured a four-count indictment relating to his efforts to contest the results of the 2020 election. Now, think about this. The president is saying, I don't believe these election results. I want to contest the election. Now, when the government backs and says you can't do that, that's where the charges of, well, we've got a banana republic or a third world country. That's where that comes from. The institution, the government itself, has said a person cannot contest this. And if you bring up anything that would be uh, in line with this kind of narrative, well, that's insurrection. If you simply say, we don't think these election results are legitimate, that's now insurrection. That's challenging the government, right? It's challenging the institution. That's dangerous for those in power. That's dangerous for those in power. And I'm going to talk about the Roman analogy in a minute because it's there. It's not third world. It's not banana republic. This is Rome. This is the kind of stuff that went on in Rome. So Sharpton said, we've had two challenges. We had the American Revolution that started the country. We had the Civil War. 
Both times they tried to deal with going or throwing away the principles of one man, one vote, the principles of democracy. <laughs> well, that's just the most simplistic, stupid thing I've ever heard when it comes to describing these two events. What side are you on? Are you on the side of America and what it conceptually stands for? Or are you on the side of King George or the Confederates? <laughs> Again, the boogeyman. you got to have a King George or the Confederates. Think about that in a way. You can't honestly make this stuff up. right? You couldn't make this up. The One of the accusations made over and over again uh, against Lincoln, when he was acting like a monarch, he was George III. He, he was the guy that was acting like the king in the American War for Independence. This is my government. You can't leave. So how are these things even compatible? They're not. That's where I would cast Donald Trump and let him defend that. I'm sure everybody in the Confederate Army said that was free speech. I'm sure the British said it was free speech. Look, why Al Sharpton is still on any kind of radio, television, anything, saying anything. It, this should be embarrassing to the left. The person is this intellectually vapid. But it's not because it's just talking points. Remember, he threw out talking points. You've got American War for Independence, right? You've got George III. That's a boogeyman. You've got Confederates, boogeyman. Might as well have conservatives saying this because they say similar things. I'll talk about that too this week. How they're from the same Lincolnian tree. So he's, he's basically bringing up the Proposition Nation, saying that George III was fighting against the Proposition Nation, and so were the Confederates. That's, what, that's the argument he's making. He doesn't make it clear, but that's essentially what he's doing. In some ways, it's, it's cogent, but he just doesn't understand how to do it. That's not really the issue here. The issue is power. The issue is government power. The issue is the power of the central authority to dictate terms. And that's what it came down to in Rome, because you had two competing visions of power in Rome. You had the Tribune and the Senate. That's where we are in America in 2023. We're not a banana republic. And America is not going to fall apart quickly, just as the Roman Empire didn't fall apart quickly. It took it hundreds of years. But in the, pro in the meantime, as the empire geared up, and after the Punic Wars and the Roman Republic fell apart, and was re ultimately replaced with the empire. It took time. The Punic Wars were in the 2nd century BC, and then, of course, it took time for that to move forward, 3rd century. It took time for that to move forward. It took hundreds of years. The United States is accelerating the process. You know, we went from the Federal Republic to the nation, to the, to the national empire, within about 80 years. So it's faster. Whereas the Roman Republic lasted longer. And then this kind of weird phase where it was sort of the Republic and sort of an empire lasted for several hundred years. And of course, you get Augustus essentially saying, look, we're an empire. But at the same time, if you look at Augustus and how he hired historians to write the history of Rome, to bring back these old Republican traits, people like Livy, what they were trying to do is make Rome great again. That's why I had a podcast here also on on uh, Pericles and his funeral oration with Athens. He was trying to make Athens great again. That's the whole point. You get these people that stand up and say, look, in the past, we had these wonderful things, and where are we now? Where are we now? We're in this period of time where people have forgotten these things that made America great, or made Rome great, or made 
uh, Athens great. And Sharpton essentially is making the same kind of case. Well, Donald Trump's a deviation from what made America. You can't make America great if you're going against American principles, which in his mind is the proposition nation. That's what Donald Trump is fighting against. Though Trump would never say that he's fighting against that at all. In fact, Trump is really just a New Deal Democrat. It's what he always has been. It's what he always has been. It's what the Republican Party essentially is now. They're a softer version of uh, the progressives of the middle of the 20th century. They're all still just the same Republicans. There was actually somebody on uh, Twitter the other day, recommend, I recommend you read the book Free Soul, Free Labor, Free Men by Eric Foner. And his immediate comment was, seems like the Republican Party hasn't changed. No, they haven't. It's the same party. I've made this, I've told you, there's no flip. Republican Party hasn't changed. It's the same party from the 1860s. They've uh, they've they've accepted the same things, right? I mean, the Republican Party was the was the warfare party in the 1860s. It's what they are now. It's what the I mean, basically Franklin Roosevelt was that in many ways. It's what Donald Trump is, a New Deal Democrat. They're just the warfare nationalists. The Democrats are the ones that have moved. That, that party has moved so far left, there's no real conservative party anymore in America. The Republicans aren't conservative. They don't want to conserve anything but the warfare state. That's their whole point. They want to, and look, they're fine with the corruption if it works for them. So where are the parallels? I mean, if we're going to talk about we are Rome, what are the parallels? Well, first of all, corruption is an important part of that. The corruption is there. It's all over the place. You can't drain the swamp from the center. This is what everybody tries to say. You can see the corruption in Rome, right? The assassination of the Gracchi. The extreme corruption of the Senate. The barracks emperors, eventually. The Praetorian Guard getting involved and in, in basically making emperors. The seizure of power by individuals who would essentially become a dictator under the name, under the guise, apparently, of a republic. This is the things that they said. And eventually all the emperors were army made. But see, it took time. You had extreme centralization of power. At the same time, when you look at the United States and the impact of immigration, one of the things that happened with Rome is just started being hollowed out from the inside. As the Roman Empire expanded out, and you have this massive imperial structure where you have Romans on the border of Europe, Africa, the Middle East, all over the place. Well, it becomes very expensive. And so you have a warfare state, essentially. And these soldiers who are getting paid to do this, right, build Hadrian's Wall, for example. The only reason they built Hadrian's Wall is because they needed to have these soldiers do something. You used to be able to pay them off with land. They couldn't do that anymore. So now you just pay them to do something, to, do, to be busy, busy work. Well, we've got Americans across the globe in over 100 locations, over 100 military bases, that's the warfare state. It's a huge part of the federal budget. And how do you pay for this stuff? How do you pay for all these massive public works in Rome? How do you pay for all these soldiers that you really don't have the cash for, right? You don't have the money for. Well, early on in Rome, you had a denarii, right? Denarius, which was silver, pure silver. And everyone knew what that was worth. So the Romans figured out, well... We can devalue the currency by adding other metal to it. And they eventually they did this. And by the late empire, you're getting a denarii that's basically made of bronze with a thin coat of silver over the top of it. It was worthless. Inflation was a thousand percent. A thousand percent. 
and the Roman currency had been devalued so badly, you had hyperinflation. Well, what are we seeing in the United States? Our money is paper or it's tin. It's worthless. There's no precious metal in it anymore. We don't back it by anything except it's traded as a commodity. And so people don't get 100 cents of pay for 100 cents of work. And we see this over time, right? You, if inflation is 3% or if it's 2%, you're still losing 2% value of your salary every single year. It's still a tax. And that's what the Romans were doing. And they had to do this because they had to pay soldiers. They had to build public works. And they had to do all this stuff. They had to build things, right, with government money. And they had to pay off soldiers with government money. And they didn't have it if you're having to mint all this silver. They never would have had it. They couldn't have paid for all these things. It's one of the arguments against the central banking system that can just print money at will. It's what Andrew Jackson talked about in, in the 1830s. And this is what we're doing now. Again, Jackson's important to get. There is, a, there is one part of Jackson that's just really bad. It's why I include him in nine presidents who screwed up America. But this is what you see. So the Roman devaluation of their currency is on par with what the United States is doing. And everyone else in the world right now, is the only reason the dollar is actually strong at times is because everybody else is devaluing the currency faster than we are. But that's the whole point, right? Th th that's it. So there is, you got, you got the political corruption. It's bad. That's Rome. You've got the expansion of the imperial uh, army which is the United States Army. I mean, And then you get the recruiting crisis. One of the things that happens in Rome, and I didn't mention this, is that, of course, you have, uh, over time, Romans don't want to serve in the army anymore. So who fills out the ranks? Foreigners. And you have all these foreigners flooding into the empire. Immigration is an issue in Rome. It hollows it out. Just as it's going to hollow out the United States. The old Roman spirit went away. The things that made Rome great, which is what all these historians are talking about, whether it was Livy or eventually Tacitus, all these people were talking about what made Rome great was hollowed out by foreign invasion, essentially, into the Roman Empire. And then Romans stopped wanting to do anything. They didn't want to serve in the empire anymore or the army. They, they wanted to get their, their moral laxity, their decadence, would make it impossible to recruit them to serve in the army. And so you get Germans to serve in the army. You get people from all over the empire to serve in the army. In fact, on these border areas, you know, for bring up Hadrian's Wall again, you look at the people that were there, they've uncovered trash pits and they found who, who, who was there. You have foreigners from all over the empire stationed in Britain. Uh, and so this was a multinational empire with a multinational army fighting for Rome, which was in some ways uh, a construction at that point, right? An ideological construction that had nothing substantive to it, which is what Al Sharpton is saying, which is what Vivek Ramaswamy is saying and, and at times. And I'll get to that in another podcast. But it's construction. It's the proposition nation. This is the issue. So that's a, a major problem. Then you've got the currency issue, inflation, the economic crisis. Now, Rome still was attractive, though. Even with that poor economy, it still had things that made it attractive. You could get anything you wanted from all over the world in Rome. Any item, any product. It was a free trade zone. There were some tolls and other things, but they were reduced. They kept pirates out. 
So Rome provided economic opportunity, which is what the exact same thing the United States does, even with high regulation, even with all the things people have to face. The United States is still the most attractive economy in the world, which is why it's going to sustain itself, just as Rome did, even for hundreds of years when the corruption and the inflation, everything else is so bad, people wanted to think about Rome. Even into the 20th century, people were thinking about Rome. Heck, the Roman Empire continued to exist in the Byzantine Empire in the East because of the allure, the image of it, what, what it was. That's what the United States will offer to people for hundreds of years. Even as we talk about decentralization, and that really is the only path forward to try to save anything, and this is what people started figuring out. Eventually, though, with all the corruption, people started moving to the to the uh, to what became fortified estates, right? Feudal, feudalism followed the Roman Empire. But also, when you look at the political class and the corruption, who gets rich on all this stuff? This is another reason why the United States isn't going anywhere, because of the amount of political corruption in the United States. Right? It's, it's Rome. You had government contracts. We just saw uh, in, in Alabama, uh, Kay Ivey, the governor of Alabama, very upset that Space Command was not put in Huntsville. It went to Colorado. Well, why would Alabama want this? Because it's money. Because of the political corruption. You've got all kinds of contracts, government contracts, construction, all kinds of things that would go into that, right? So the amount of money that the general government spends, trillions of dollars, goes into people's pockets. So that corruption, it's what Alexander Hamilton talked about, that corruption greases the wheels and it makes it all work. And as long as you have that amount of money, the centralization of power creates a tremendous amount of money, and that money can be stuffed in people's pockets, whether it's through corporate welfare, individual welfare, whatever it is. As long as you go to people's pockets, people are going to be loyal to the system. Rome only started to collapse and all that fell apart. And of course, through invasion, poor performance by the military, these are things that led it, led it to major problems. Of course, economic dislocation, other things. And it's, but it's going to take time for the United States to go through this. This is not happening anytime soon. What does need to happen in the U.S. is we need to revitalize these principles of federalism, decentralization, resistance to the center. That does help mitigate corruption and other things. Right? When you hold the general government accountable to the constraints of the Constitution, and the states can do this, the people of the states can do this, well, then you create a climate that's not so bad, right? That is the early federal republic. That's what we're talking about. You're looking at the early American federal republic when you do that, in contrast to the Lincolnian Empire. But you see, people are confused about what they really want. That's the other issue with Rome. And the other, we, we don't know what, what the United States is. We didn't, they didn't know what Rome was. Rome became something else, or it was this or that. You had all these differing visions of what Rome should be or what it was. It was Julius Caesar the great Roman? Or did you have to go back before that? What was it that made Rome great? Was it the wars of empire? Or was it the old principles, the old paternal principles of Rome? What was it? And the United States starts in many ways the same way, right? We've got the founding generation talking about the Romans. They were certainly... They certainly understood Roman history. I mean, George Washington was called the American Cincinnatus, which is a reference to Roman history, right? The great general 
Cincinnatus who put down the plow, went and saved Rome, and then went back to the farm. This is what people thought you had to do because you were preserving that Republican character. You were not leading to corruption. That's what we've got now. So all kinds of things. Moral laxity. I've talked about decadence, moral laxity, people not wanting to do anything. You've got all these uh, social problems and social issues, the culture war. All of that is tied into these uh, to these problems of the center um, and, of course, the erosion of the spirit of what made America great or you know, Western civilization, these kind of things. It's all falling apart, but it won't happen quickly, just as Rome didn't fall apart overnight. In fact, really what happens is you know, Rome just kind of disintegrates. The old city of Rome is held on to by the Catholic Church. The Church, then, is the only thing really left in Rome. Everything else moves on to somewhere else. The empire shifts east. The west is being invaded by Germans. And so what you have is the church left in Rome, and that's really it. And you've got a city, a decaying city, with nothing in it. What are we seeing in America? Decaying cities that people are getting out of. They don't want to be in it. Now, there's all this talk about revitalization. And you do have areas, you know, they call it gentrification and all these things. But... Uh, I, I'm not so certain that uh, when people talk about the United States is going to fall apart quickly, it's not. It's not going to fall apart quickly. It's going to follow the Roman model. It will eventually fall apart. But it might take a long period of time. We have warnings, though. We have this history at our side saying, well, this is what happens. This is what happened to Rome. We need to avoid that. Well, how do we do that? Well, we don't have so much centralization. We stop wasting money. We stop devaluing the currency. We do things that would stop the decline. We try to trim back the corruption. We can't drain the swamp from the center, so you just start ignoring the center, which is what really people should be doing. Jackson was the problem there because he's talking about draining the swamp, but, of course, focusing more and more on Jackson. We get rid of executive government. These are some of the things you can do. And when we talk about political corruption and elections, certainly we should be thinking about elections and corruption and elections and how... We don't. We, do we have, really have fair elections? Do we really know what's actually going on and all these things? We do have the deep state, and they are so much part of this general government now. I mean, what do they do? Nobody really knows. But eventually, Romans had the same thing. They just started looking the other way. They were more interested in the gladiatorial games or something else because they couldn't solve any of it. The United States has a mechanism. The Roman Empire didn't have it. The United States has a mechanism. And that mechanism, of course, is federalism. That is the difference between the two. We actually have a constitutional structure that would allow this to happen, but it has to come from think locally, act locally. This is why when we say the United States is a banana republic or some other kind of thing, it's just a bad analogy. King George III, a Confederate's bad analogy. The analogy is Rome. And as I said in 2016, we are Rome. The problem is people don't really understand enough history to get it. But that's where we're headed. And if we really want to stop that, then you start looking at federalism again as a solution. All right. See you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.